How about let's sing verses 6, 7, and 8 one more time. Enjoying with hymn 41. Amen. We are never weary singing our eternal song. Glory to God. Hallelujah.
Let's have brothers on verse one, sisters on two. Hallelujah. We are never weary singing our eternal song. Amen. be seated. Amen. Let us be seated. Let us turn off all of our cell phones so there's no distractions and let us pray two by two for this meeting.
Well, dear saints, we, we proceed on to uh, message two. How wonderful we could be here enjoying Christ and seeking the experience of Christ. Can you imagine, saints, here in Southern California, we have such a privilege that we have this subject indicating our entire future is to explore the experience of Christ. Well, in this message, uh, Brother Oscar and I are jubilant because we get the privilege of enjoying this message with you. And um, uh, the one thing, the one thing is the subjective experience of Christ. And dear saints, um, Philippians is a book on this one thing, on the subjective experience of Christ. And we saw that anytime we pursue and enter into the experience of Christ, we touch something mysterious. And so the universe is a mystery. God is a mystery. Christ is a mystery. Christ and the church are the great mystery. And our brother has said, the fact that we have a mingled spirit is the mystery of mysteries. And when we touch him in our mingled spirit and, in, and, and, experience, and experience him there, we are mysterious persons entering into the, the mysterious experience of Christ. So, um, dear saints, in um, the book of Philippians, there is a difference in its structure compared to the other four books of the heart of the divine revelation. In Galatians, Ephesians, and in Colossians, you have a first section in which revelation is given, followed by a second section in which practical experience and application follows. Philippians, although it is filled with revelation of Christ, differs in that the entire book, from the beginning to the end, is on the experience and enjoyment of Christ, the subjective experience and enjoyment of Christ following, following the revelation of this marvelous Christ. And so in this book, in this book we have, as we come now in this message and tomorrow's message to Philippians chapter two, we, the burden here, the burden here tonight in particular, is that we would, we would touch this, we would touch this um, chapter and not miss, rather mine, M-I-N-E, as much as we can, the benefits for our subjective experience of Christ. Brotherly said, when he was about to speak on this in the life study, he said, saints, I'd like you to understand my hardship as it comes to these chapters. He said, I, I have a hardship. And this hardship, this hardship is that this chapter, much appreciated, spoken very, very much among believers, and probably there's no one here who isn't a new believer who hasn't heard marvelous messages on Philippians chapter 2 and the pattern of Christ in chapter 2 there's probably no one who hasn't heard these messages but taken them in a doctrinal 
and objective way. But there's much more. There's much more to this chapter than taking it in a doctrinal way. We need to go deep into the subjective experience revealed here. And in this message, this is on the pattern, the pattern. So in coming to this portion, Brother Nee told us that when we come to this, this portion of the word, it's as if we are on holy ground. We should take our shoes off to come to this passage. And he also, he also said that in the whole Bible, it may be that there is no passage as mysterious as the revelation of the pattern of Christ in Philippians chapter 2. But this contrasts with the fact that we have taken, we have tended to take this chapter in a doctrinal and objective way. So, in general, and check this with your experience, most persons upon seeing the marvelous pattern of Christ, who was equal with God, underwent step after step after step of emptying, of humbling, of humiliation. And so the response and the appreciation here tends to be one of adoration. My Lord, I love you. I thank you for doing this. And we, we should, this is, this is right. We should take, we should take uh, the revelation in verses 5 through 8 especially in this way of adoration. And in Christian teaching, after our appreciation of this pattern, which we may laud the Lord for in the Lord's table, comes a feeling of emulation, or we could say imitation. So, dear brothers, you shouldn't be offended by your wife. You shouldn't be upset. You should empty yourself. You should empty yourself. You should be humbled. And the instructed husband says, yes, I should do that. Yes. Next time I will try to remember the Lord's pattern and, and I will seek to humble myself. But saints, this isn't what makes this one of the most mysterious portions of the Bible, nor which makes it holy ground worthy of our deep reverence. But the fact is that the Lord Jesus, in carrying out the steps that he carried out in, in Ephesians chapter 2, was making himself a pattern to us in the most subjective way to indwell us as that pattern and to set us in a direction to follow new footsteps. Footsteps not in outward imitation, but footsteps in the mingled spirit Amen. where we would move, move relentlessly in the same direction the Lord did until he reaches the death on the cross. So, Brother Lee said, in this message we have downs and ups. So I'm going to present the downs, 
and Oscar's going to present the ups. Or he'll present downs and ups. But anyway, <clears throat> anyway, the Lord would like us to move with him in our experience to the point that we no longer hold to anything. We no longer grasp anything. We no longer treasure anything that we hold in our inner being, but are willing to be emptied to move in a certain direction. The direction defined by these downs and then the ups, where we're eventually, we're eventually brought all the way into intrinsic oneness and coherence with God himself to live there and to fulfill, replicate, and enlarge his patternhood as revealed here in these verses. So we have um, Brother, Lee, Brother Lee said, so apparently these verses regarding the Lord's humiliation and pouring himself out, being found in form as a man, as a slave, humbling himself to death, even the death, uh, even the death of the cross, he would say that this appears to be doctrinal. And it is doctrinal, but it's, but it's, it's apparently doctrinal, but even more it's subjective. Even more it's subjective. And so he spent some time to say, Brother, how can you prove that what the Lord's intention here is here is to speak to us about this pattern established by the Lord Jesus himself in subjective experience? So he gave four matters. Four matters. Number one, number one is that this is in Philippians. And Philippians is on the subjective experience of Christ. Therefore, therefore, the pattern in Philippians chapter 2 should be absolutely subjective to us. Number two, after this pattern is revealed in verses uh, 5 through 9, and then we have 10 and 11 inserted, in verse 12, where it refers to the salvation that we'll talk about tomorrow, that we're going to, we're going to work out, it says, it says, it begins that verse saying, so then, so then, so the salvation we have is a so then salvation. We work that salvation out through so then. So then what? So then, through taking Christ as the subjective pattern to us. And then verse 13, the third point is in verse 13, it says, for, then refers to the operating God through whom this salvation is worked out. For, verse 13 continues, verse 12, indicating that both verse 12 and verse 13, which are both extremely subjective regarding our working out our salvation through the interoperating God, are based upon the pattern. If that pattern is only in the heavens, he cannot work this salvation out in us.
and he cannot be the interoperating God. But because this pattern is subjective, he can. And the fourth thing is, in verses 5 through 8, where it talks about the Lord's incarnation, human living, death on the cross, and eventually his resurrection and ascension, all in this passage to become Lord of all, it makes no mention of his redemption. Our brother points out that the failure here of, our, of, of the scripture to include his redemption indicates that his intention is not just what he worked out, redemption which we have no part, but what we are to participate in, which is our taking him as our subjective pattern. So now, in our outline, we have two Roman numerals, and this shows us the mysterious subjective experience of Christ as our pattern. In Roman number one, it shows us that this experience is out there for you, dear brothers and sisters. It's out there for you, but it's conditional. You may have it, you may not have it. Roman numeral one shows us what the condition is. Then Roman numeral two says, this condition, which is our having his mind, our having this mind, Roman two, numeral two shows us that having this mind merges our entire Christian life into an enjoyment, an experience, an enjoyment of Christ that enlarges the pattern that we see here, and we partake of it and participate in it. So these are the two Roman numerals I'm going to cover, and then Oscar will continue with the rest of Roman numeral two and Roman numeral three. Now, Roman number one says, if we would know Christ as our pattern, we should let the mind which was in Christ be in us. So, having Christ as our pattern depends upon the matter of the mind. So the mind is emphasized very much in this epistle and in the Lord's recent speaking to the Lord's recovery, to his recovery, the mind has been emphasized. The mind determines who you are, what you want, what you'll do. If you've got a certain mind, that's, that's what you'll be. And we all have a certain mind. Oh, how we need enlightenment, how we need penetration of the Lord's mind, so that we have, according to 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. So it says here, let this mind be in you. The let here indicates that the mind is a person. We can only let a person. So to let this mind be in us means we let the capital mind, the capital M mind in the universe. There's a living mind in the universe. That mind, the lovely Lord Jesus, is to be our mind if we will let him. So it says, let this, um, Philippians uh, 2.5 says, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. Here, mind is not a noun. Rather, it's a verb. It's, it's this person moving. Literally, it means, let this thinking be in you. The thinking that was in Christ Jesus, let this thinking be in you, govern you, direct you. The let indicates that this is a choice. We either will let this mind be in us, 
or we will not let this mind be in us. The choices involved, this verse parallels thusly, Colossians 3.16. Now, there are two marvelous communicable aspects of this mind that I'd like to point to. Two communicable aspects of this mind that are ours when they let this mind be in us. One, his mind was absolutely governed by his love for and in that love, his submission to God the Father. Number two, in his love for the Father, he was willing to submit to the Father and empty himself out even unto death, and that the death of the cross. Now, for us to have this mind, we need in parallel, here's the secret, we need to be as enthralled, as engaged, as in love with the Lord himself as the Lord Jesus was with the Father. In the eternal love in the Godhead, we need to realize our love needs to, needs to develop. So, um, it's of interest that the first, the opening two to three sentences in the life study of Philippians indicate, indicate that Philippians as a master, in, master portion in the Bible on the experience of Christ is companioned by an Old Testament counterpart, the Song of Songs, in which the seeker focuses her entire being more and more successfully, more and more fully, more and more absolutely on her beloved. Until we, until we have this kind of this kind of, of longing and urging in us, it's going to be hard for us to have this kind of love that the Son had for the Father. But actually, we just need enough love to touch him in our spirit. And then the love that he has for the Father gives us, gives us the same love, the same love for him. Nextly, we need to realize that our mind our consciousness needs to be filled with him. Needs to be filled with him. And that we, as our consciousness is filled with him, and that consciousness of him displaces item after item and thing after thing, we go for him. We move toward him. We move from a certain position or orientation that we have, we move toward him. So I'd like to refer you to page 50 and 51 in the book, Fellowshipping with the Lord for the Mingling of God and Man, where our brother points out that to experience Romans 8, 6, setting our mind on the spirit, we need to be psalmists who muse on the Lord and turn our being and our heart to him again and again all the time, and a reference verse here is Psalm 104, 104.34, where it says, may my musings be sweet to him. When we love him in that way, when we realize our mind needs to be filled with consciousness of him, which moves us toward him, we start, these are markers that we have let this mind be in us. Point A says, we need to take Christ's mind as our mind, opening ourselves, 
to let this mind be in us. Now here, the subpoints here indicate the amazing experiences of the organic union when in love and in consciousness of him we touch him. In this union, our mind no longer thinks we ourselves are excellent, no longer thinks we are virtuous, but now suddenly thinks others are virtuous, others are excellent. One says in verse this, in verse five, refers to the considering in verse three and the regarding in verse four. So the considering in verse, in verse three is considering one another more excellent than yourselves. The regarding in verse four is regarding each one his own virtues, not regarding each one his own virtues, but each the virtues of others also. Now, can you identify with those verses? Well, we don't, we're not good at this. We're not good at seeing the strong points of others. We're good at noticing ours. But as this mind is allowed to be in us, all of a sudden we, we're not conscious of our strengths. The self-awareness, the self-consciousness fades away and we are full of appreciation of what others are and have. This is a marvelous marker of our organic union with the Lord experienced by having this mind. Two says lowliness of mind is in contrast both to selfish ambition and vainglory. This must not be our natural lowliness, but the lowliness of Christ. So it mentions the Lord was lowly in his humiliation and his emptying of himself. And so the point here is that this is not a manufactured, fabricated lowliness. So in Colossians 2.18, it refers to self-chosen lowliness through which you are defrauded. So this is not referring to trying to be low and modest. It's referring to having this mind which will pour out what you hold to, what you think is good about yourself, what you want to attain, will let this go in the favor, in the favor of his lovely person. Three says this kind of mind, this kind of thinking was in Christ when he emptied and humbled himself. So to review the seven steps of his emptying in Philippians 2, 7 and 8, first, number one, it says, but emptied himself, two, taking the form of a slave, three, becoming the likeness of men, four, being found in fashion as a man, five, he humbled himself, becoming six, obedient unto death, and seven, that the death of the cross. So step after step after step of his humiliation came from his having this mind, not holding to anything. Now saints, the things we hold to infringe upon and displace our experience of Christ. Why is it that we have to talk about experience versus enjoyment? It's because our experience is so fleeting. We touch the Lord in our spirit and we're drawn away by something else because we hold to other things. But as he becomes eminent, as he becomes more important, and we're lowly in what we have, and we just esteem him, just, just esteem him, then, then uh, these things just slip away. We don't, have to, we don't have to worry about suffering the loss of them. 
Point B says, now notice we've gone from let this mind to have this mind. To have this mind requires us to be one with Christ in his inward parts, in his tender inward feeling and in his thinking. When in our appreciation for the Lord, we touch him and we contact him and we enjoy him in organic union, we find ourselves, dear saints, in the inward parts of Christ Jesus. And there, we're conscious of him and we thank him. We thank him. It's interesting to look at these verses in sequence in Philippians chapter one, verses seven and eight. You know, Paul was in prison, as the brothers have said, uh, but in that prison, he said, I'm in the inward parts of Christ Jesus. In verse seven, he said, you Philippians have me in your hearts. Verse eight, he said, I have you in my heart and I long after you in, my, in the inward parts of Christ Jesus. So when we contact him with this mind in the organic union, we're in the full experience of the body of Christ in the inward parts of Christ Jesus and find ourselves in the hearts of the saints, find the saints in our hearts and we and the saints are in the inward parts of Christ Jesus. And we have this, we have this as we, as we um, appreciate and enjoy this wonderful Christ. Now, uh, point C says, for this mind of Christ to be in us means that this mind is something living. Actually, the mind of Christ is Christ himself, as we said earlier, for the person of Christ is manifested in his mind. So we reviewed Philippians 2.5, which says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. But the next verse there, 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, we have the mind of Christ. And the footnote is noted there and says that the Lord Jesus had a mind, had the, had the intellectual faculty. As we have his life, with his life we receive his faculties. We receive his intelligence and the note says, we know what the omniscient God knows by having his mind. We know what he knows. We know what he knows. And so our brother said in, in one place, he said, this living mind is waiting for you. Waiting for you to open and let him come in. And the most active part about you is probably your mind. But he would like to replace your active mind with his more active being and more active mind. And you'll have more realization of how marvelous he is, how beautiful he is, he, how attractive he is. You'll be drawn to him more. You'll experience and enjoy him more when his mind gets in you and it's living, active, more active than yours. And your active mind can be displaced by that. So uh, we'll go on now quickly through Roman numeral two, the first few points. Now, if we have this mind, if we have this mind, we can know him. So this knowing him makes us, think of, makes us think of chapter three, verse 10. Oh, to know him. This is the subjective knowing of Christ. In order to experience Christ, we need to know him as this pattern. We need a subjective knowing of this pattern. Having him as the one in us, who as our pattern, one with us and us one with him, allows us to not hold on to anything, but to move inexorably toward him to touch him. 
A, Philippians 2, 5 through 9, Paul presents Christ as the pattern. We need to have this pattern, what? Infused into us. So this pattern is what? This pattern is subjective. We call on him, as it tells us later in this verse, and he, as this pattern, when we call on him, every, every knee will bow and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. When we declare that he is Lord, oh, Lord Jesus, he, as the pattern, is infused into us, experienced and enjoyed by us. Point B, the pattern of the Christian life is the God-man Savior who emptied himself and humbled himself and who has been exalted and glorified by God and now, as this glorified one, as the Spirit of Jesus Christ is in us as this pattern. So now, he is the living one within us as we touch him. These experiences of what he experiences the pattern are spontaneously experienced by us. We spontaneously pour ourselves out. We spontaneously don't grasp. We spontaneously treasure nothing but him. So one says, although the Lord was equal with God, he did not consider being equal with God a treasure to be grasped and retained. Rather, he emptied himself, laying aside what he possessed, the form of God. So saints, we don't have the form of God. He had it and he poured it out. But we have some image, some likeness that we appreciate. Are we not willing to pour that out? When we touch him in the organic union, we are anxious to pour that out and let that go. A, in his incarnation, the Lord did not alter his divine nature. B, he changed only the outward expression from the form of God to the form of the slave. The brother who gave this message pointed out that Philippians 1.1, the first part, says, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus testifying that there were these two who had taken Christ as their pattern and humbled themselves and were slaves of Christ Jesus. As we know him as, as this pattern, we do the same thing and we are happy to have the form of a slave. Two, the, likeness be, the Lord became in the, likeness, in the likeness of men. Now, when the Lord became the likeness of men, you might think that, or many believers view him as a handsome man. According to Isaiah 53, as you know, he was disfigured. He had nothing, no attractiveness in him at all. He lowered himself, he lowered himself to that degree. Um, as we touch him in the organic union, we don't hold to our face. We don't hold to our appearance. We can let these spontaneously go. A says, the form of God implies the inward reality of Christ's deity. The likeness of men denotes the outward appearance of his humanity. B, he appeared to men as a man outwardly, but as God, he had the reality of deity inwardly. C, Christ entered into the condition of humanity and was found in fashion as a man by onlooking men. Now, men look at us, find us in fashion as a man, we also have this deity within us, and this can be lived out and um, presented to them when we take him as this pattern. Three, Christ humbled himself by being obedient even unto death, and that the death of the cross. A, humbling himself was a further step in emptying himself. B, Christ self-humbling manifested his self-emptying. And C, the death of the cross was the climax 
of Christ's humiliation. Eventually, as we know him as this pattern, as Brother Oscar is going to tell us in a few moments, he will take us all the way to the point that we were willing to live this pattern of the emptied and humbled life, willing to live the life of the cross, willing to live the crucified life. And the pattern, the pattern in Philippians 2, 7, and 8 becomes the mold in Philippians 3.10, which says, which is involved in our being conformed to his death. Eventually, spontaneously, it's a joy for us to live the crucified life and be conformed to his death as we enjoy him as this intrinsic, indwelling, pneumatic pattern. Brothers and sisters, um, this pattern that we see in the book of Philippians is uh, one of the greatest patterns in the human history. Uh, when we look at Christ in these verses, we see that he was actually in the form of God. He actually existed in the form of God. And Paul is using three expressions in, this ver in these verses. He's using the phrase, the form, He's using the phrase, the likeness, and he uses the phrase, what fashion. It says there that he was existing in the form of God, but then he went from the highest form in the universe. He went into the lowest form in the universe. It does not say that he humbled himself to become a man first. It says there that he came in the form of a slave. Brothers and sisters, if you were existing in the form of God, would you be willing to come in the form of a slave? Just consider this. You know, when Paul was writing the epistle to Philippians, he was dealing with a rivalry and vainglory among the believers. And he was telling them, brothers and sisters, uh, while you're fighting, while you're trying to establish your own vainglory, look at this pattern. This man, who lived among us actually was God himself. He existed in the form of God. And then he emptied himself, he humbled himself, and he came in the lowest possible form. He did not come in the form of a king or even just a nice man. He came in the form of a slave. Brothers and sisters, uh, Brother Nee in the book, The Authority and Submission says that for Christ to humble himself was not as, you know, was not the same as for us to humble ourselves. Because, you know, we don't have any glory. We don't have any high position. For us to humble ourselves is like, is very natural. But for him to humble himself was something completely against his position and his form. That's why, you know, this, uh, when Brother Nee begins to talk about this, he actually uses a unique phrase. Uh, there is a, uh, uh, there, in the book, The Authority and Submission, there is a chapter five called Christ, a Son's Submission. And there you see the subheading, which is very striking. I don't think any of us would think this way. It says, the Lord creating submission. Before the Lord came to this earth, there was no real submission in this universe. 
You may think, you know, we are creatures, you know, we're created by God, God is our creator, we're submissive to him. Actually, when Christ came, he came into the universe filled with rebellion. The, uh, the greatest creature ever created became stupefied because of his beauty. He became drunk with his power and his glory, and he rebelled against God. So when Christ came, he did not come into the pure created universe. He came into the universe full of rebellion, full of sin, full of ugly things. So when Christ came, he came it says here, he created submission. There was no submission before Christ came to this earth. That's why Paul is presenting to us this marvelous pattern. He says, look at him. He was the only one in the whole universe who could claim power and position. But he emptied himself. He humbled himself. But look at yourself. I mean, you have no power in yourself. You have no glory in yourself. Why are you still fighting for vain glory? Christ was the only one who had the right to be that way. And he chose to humble himself. Let me read you a paragraph from this book, The Authority and Submission. When the Lord came down to earth, he emptied himself of the glory, power, position, and image in his deity. As a result of his emptying, those without revelation did not recognize him and would not acknowledge him as God, considering him merely as an ordinary man. In the Godhead, the Lord voluntarily chose to be the Son, submitting himself to the authority of the Father. Hence, he said that the Father was greater than he. The Son's position was a voluntary choice of our Lord. In the Godhead, there is full harmony. In the Godhead, there is equality. Yet, it is happily arranged that the Father would be the head and that the Son should submit. The Father became the representation of authority, and the Son became the representation of submission. Then, Brother Nee says, we're human. Submission for us is simple. We can submit as long as we humble ourselves. But the Lord's submission is not a simple matter. The Lord's submission is more difficult than his creation of the heavens and the earth. In order to submit, he had to empty himself of all the glory, power, position, and image in his deity. He also had to take on the form of a slave. Only then could he receive the qualification of submission. Hence, submission is something created by the Son of God. Brothers and sisters, when we look at this pattern, we have to realize that this pattern is the one who humbled himself to the uttermost. And, brothers and sisters, Paul is encouraging us to have the same mind in ourselves. Paul is not just presenting to us this pattern. As Brother Rick said, you know, we may have read that. We may have even prayed that. You know, I, when I heard this message for the first time, I was... Um, I, I remembered, I recalled that even in the Lord's table, I prayed with these verses many times. But I always omitted that phrase, let this mind be in you. You should be thinking the same thing. You should have the same mind that is willing to humble ourselves to the uttermost. So here, point four says, the son willingly emptied himself to become a created man as a representation of submission to authority. 
point A says, the Lord Jesus set his heart to subject himself to the way of submission, even unto death. Dear saints, uh, when the Lord was on the earth, his death on the cross was not an accident. His death, his death on the cross was his voluntary decision to submit himself to the Father to the uttermost. And if you look at the verses that are quoted here, they are very striking. Uh, in Isaiah 50, verse 7, it says that the Lord has set his face like a flint. It says there that he was determined to go to Jerusalem and to suffer all the way to the end. If I would bring you and say, you know, we're going somewhere and you're going to suffer there and you're going to be killed there, would you be willing to go with me? Would you say, well, I'd rather stay here? You know, why would I go there? And, but the Lord here, it says that he not only agreed, but he, he, uh, he actually set his face like a flint. That means nothing, nothing could take him away from his path. He could not detour. He would not stop. And then the next portion is... Um, uh, in Mark 10, it says there that now they were on the road going to Jerusalem and Jesus led the way before them and they were amazed. And those who followed him were afraid. It says there that everyone was afraid. He told them that he's going to Jerusalem not to get the kingdom, but to be crucified and to die. But he was full of determination, yet they were afraid. Brothers and sisters, that was the degree to which he was willing to submit to the Father. This is, this is amazing. When you look at the Lord Jesus, you realize that this man, this God-man, was willing to humble himself all the way to the end, even unto death. Brothers and sisters, uh, would we let the same mind be in us? Would we allow this mind to operate in us? Would we allow the mind of Christ to humble ourselves in the same way? Point B says, even though he was son, the Lord learned obedience from the things which he suffered. This is a quote from Hebrews 5.8. In that verse, it says uh, it, that... Um, this is actually the quote from the verse. And let me read you what Brother Nee says about this in, uh, in the book, The Authority and Submission, another paragraph. Hebrews 5.8 tells us that the Lord's obedience was learned through suffering. Suffering brought obedience to him. True submission is found when there is still obedience in spite of suffering. A man's usefulness is not in whether he has suffered, but in whether he has learned obedience in suffering. Only those who are obedient to God are useful. If the heart is not softened, the suffering will not go away. Our way is the way of manifold sufferings. A man who yearns after ease and enjoyment is of no use. We must all learn to be obedient in sufferings. When the Lord came to this earth, he did not bring obedience with him. Rather, he learned it through suffering. Brothers and sisters, we may think, you know, it was easy for him. You know, he humbled himself, he emptied himself. But this verse shows that the Father was bringing him through different situations to teach him obedience. 
In the same way, the Lord is bringing us through different kinds of situations to teach us obedience. And the next point says here, God ordained that Christ should die and Christ abate. That, those two words really strike me. Christ abate. Very simple. Very simple two words. But those words really tell you what was going on in his being. He was willing to be humbled all the way to the end. He just obeyed like a lamb. Point two says he learned this obedience through the suffering of death. Point C, the Lord who was submissive throughout his life has given us his life of submission. A believer's obedience is a consequence of taking Christ as a pattern of obedience. Brothers and sisters, uh, I'd like to tell you that one of the biggest, uh, one of the uh, uh, most joyful and most beloved portions in the ministry for me is Brother Nee's uh, volume 37, chapter 32. I, all, I encourage you all to read that chapter. Volume 37, chapter 32. It's called A Deeper Joy. And uh, in that chapter, Brother Nee is telling us that a Christian life is actually is a life of joy. You know, we're talking about Philippians, and Philippians is a book on joy. But there are two kinds of joy, Brother Nee says. The first joy is the joy of salvation. Everyone who is saved experiences the joy of the Lord. But then, Brother Nee says, there is a deeper joy. And that joy is not related to salvation. That joy is related to humbling ourselves under God's will. Once you agree, once you take the Lord's yoke upon yourself, you, your life becomes very easy and very joyful. Yeah, you know, uh, Brother Nee uh, uses a chapter that I love also very much. He uses chapter 11 of uh, the, uh, the book of Matthew. In that book, you see the, tri the threefold sufferings of Christ. You see that, first of all, John the Baptist began to doubt him. John the Baptist was saying, are you the one who is coming or we should expect another one? So John the Baptist began to doubt the Lord's coming. Number two, it says that the Lord is saying that when John the Baptist came, people were saying, you know, he's not eating and drinking, therefore he is a demon. And here, the Son of Man came, he's eating and drinking, he's a gluttonous man and a drunkard. So people began to mock him. People began to despise him. And the third thing that he experienced was he went to those cities around the Sea of Galilee. He went to Capernaum, Bethsaida, and he went to... Uh, uh, Chorazin, and, and those places rejected him. Those places would not take his preaching. And just imagine th threefold suffering of Christ in that one chapter. And what does the Lord say? He says, I extol you. I extol you, Father. For you have not revealed these things. You have hidden these things from wise and prudent. And you have revealed them to the babes. And then he said, for it was well-pleasing in your eyes. What was well-pleasing? It was well-pleasing in the eyes of God for those cities to reject Christ. It was well-pleasing in the eyes of God to, that people would mock Christ. 
And he took that. And then he said, all you who labor, who struggle, who do not have any joy, you come to me and you learn from me. And you take my yoke upon yourself. And my burden is easy and my yoke is light. And you will find rest for your souls. So this is not talking about the gospel. It's not talking about the gospel preaching. It's actually talking about us taking the will of God upon ourselves. And when we do that, we have the greatest joy on earth. That's what Brother Nee says. This is a deeper joy. So when you look at Paul in prison, why was Paul rejoicing? What, what uh, situation could, would cause him to rejoice? I mean, people were preaching the gospel out of rivalry. You know, they were trying to make his bonds even worse. Some people were arguing, but he was full of joy. Why was he full of joy? Because he took the Lord's yoke upon himself. He was happy under God's will. Brothers and sisters, this is the only way for us as Christians to rejoice. We rejoice only when we humble ourselves and when we take God's will upon ourselves. And this is the sweetest life. This is the most joyful life of a Christian on earth. So point... Uh, Five says, the Lord humbled himself to the uttermost, but God exalted him to the highest peak and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Uh, this verse shows to us that it's not us who exalt ourselves. We do not exalt ourselves. We humble ourselves. We, we lower ourselves. We put ourselves under God's will. And when we do that, God has a way to come in and bring us up. He has a way to resurrect us. He has a way to exalt us, but not in a natural way. He does it as with Christ, in the way of resurrection. Uh, point three, uh, brothers and sisters, this is, this is a very striking sentence. Let us all read point, uh, point three together. There is an urgent need among us in the Lord's recovery today to experience Christ without death. This is a quote from the ministry. And just consider what is the most urgent need in the Lord's recovery today. Uh, if I ask you, you know, what is the most urgent need? You, you may say, maybe this is, uh, you know, to bring up the numbers, maybe to build up the vital groups, or to do this, or to spread, or to migrate. But here, Brother Nee looks at the root of everything that we're doing. He says, the most urgent need, there is an urgent need among us today in the Lord's recovery, is that we would experience Christ as our pattern. Uh, when Paul was writing the book of Philippians, he was actually dealing with a very desperate situation. Uh, if you look at the New Testament, the church in Philippi was the best church of all the churches. Uh, that church supported him financially. That church prayed for him. That church cared for him, while every, uh, even at the time when others rejected him. So that church was actually a very good church. Yet, Paul is saying that he did, his joy was not made full. Because there was some rivalry between them. There was some discord between them. And uh, for Paul to present to us the solution, you know, he did not present methods. He did not present how-tos. He presented Christ. 
in a manifold way. And if you look at the, at the topic, at the subject of the book of Philippians, I really enjoy this subject. It says, experiencing Christ, taking Christ as our living pattern, goal, power, and secret. The only solution in the church life is taking Christ as these things. There is no other solution. In the church life, we can only take Christ. If I teach you how to behave, what to do in this kind of situation, maybe it will help you temporarily, but it will not bring you forward in the experience of Christ. It will not build up the body of Christ. It will not produce the reality of the body of Christ. So the most urgent need, the urgent need among us today is to experience Christ, to take Christ as our pattern. Allow this mind, this thinking, this organic thinking process to be in us. Point A says, Christ as our pattern is not only objective, but also subjective and experiential. The one who set up the pattern and who himself is the pattern is now operating within us as the indwelling God. Brothers and sisters, God is operating in you. Amen. This is the few verses down. He says God operates in you. And how does he operate in you? Some think, you know, he just empowers me. He gives me gifts. He gives me wisdom. But actually, the way God operates in us is that he gives us the mind of Christ. He infuses us with the mind of Christ. Point B says the principle of Christ as the inward pattern for our living is that even if we have the highest standard or the highest position, we should not grasp it. I, I told you before that um, we actually do not have any higher position. I mean, it's actually in the eyes of God, you know, we, we're all on a very low level. So it's very easy for us to humble ourselves. Yet still, some think of themselves highly than they ought to think. And they need to learn how to humble themselves, and they need to learn to experience Christ in this way. Uh, I'd like to read you uh, a paragraph from the uh, Life Study of Philippians, Message 11. Uh, the message is called The Exaltation of Christ, and the subheading is The Experiencing, Experiencing Christ as Our Pattern. Brother Lee says, there is an urgent need among us in the Lord's recovery today to experience Christ as our pattern. We desperately need to experience him as our crucified life. Such a life stands altogether in contrast to a life of, rival to a life of rivalry and vainglory. In the church life, listen to this, we either take the crucified life as our pattern or automatically live a life of rivalry and vainglory. There is no third way. So brothers and sisters, it's very easy. We have only two ways in the church life. We either live a crucified life or we naturally live a life of ambition, vainglory, and rivalry. The issue here is extremely serious. We need to be honest with ourselves and consider the kind of life we have been living in the church. If you review the time you have been in the church life, you will see that whenever you did not take the crucified life as your pattern, you were living a life of rivalry for vainglory. This is actually 
it's like a, it's like a natural law. Unless you crucify your being, unless you apply the cross and live this crucified life, the vainglory, ambition, and rivalry rises up in you without you even knowing this. So that's what Brother Lee is saying. Consider your experience. Every time that you were not living a crucified life, you had these thoughts about vainglory. You know, that Greek word vainglory actually means empty glory. It means no glory. Actually, you think you're having glory, you're getting glory, but actually you're getting nothing. And you think you're, you're glorious in your own eyes, but actually you're nothing. This is what the, what the word vainglory means. So we, we think we're exalting ourselves, we think we're doing so great, but actually, actually, we're just getting nothing. We're getting emptiness. So, Brother Lee is saying, during the years I have been in the church life, I have known many cases of those who were in rivalry for vain glory. Without exception, all those who engaged in such rivalry went downhill. It is utterly foolish to have rivalry in the church life. We should fear this more than we fear a serpent. Whenever you're in rivalry with others, you're without question living in the self. We must condemn this rivalry and repudiate it. Amen. Uh, dear saints, um, you know, uh, you, may, uh, you may know, you may not know, I was saved in, and uh, came into the church life in Russia in 92. And uh, in uh, 94, 95, the brothers in Moscow decided that they should have, they should train a group of leading brothers. And uh, they gathered all the promising brothers, and they began to spend weekly time with them. And they would come together with them, they would study the truth, they would perfect these brothers. And when the time came to appoint the elders in 96, all the elders were appointed uh, through the fellowship with Brother Lee. You know, Brother Benson brought their names to Brother Lee. And actually, the number of the elders that were appointed were actually less than the group of the brothers that were coming together. And uh, 10 brothers were appointed as elders. And the group might have been maybe 15 or 20 brothers. And some of those who were not appointed, they, let me tell you, they immediately left the church life. They were, just, they were just there after position. And I was looking at this. I was not appointed at the, as the elder. Praise the Lord. I, 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 was not, I was not even part of that group. You know, I, at that time. So the point is, but I, when I was looking at that, I was like, what is this? Why would you even leave the church life? You know, why are you here? Are you here for your vainglory? Are you here for your name? Or you're here for the Lord's recovery? Brothers and sisters, we should never, never uh, live the life of vainglory. We should never live a life of this ambition or rivalry. The only way to be delivered from this is to live a crucified life. Amen. Praise the Lord. So point C says, we need to live Christ in his human living, especially in his emptying himself and humbling himself and in his not grasping equality with God as a treasure. Dear saints, there, there are some saints uh, that I know that have high position in the world they have high position in the government. 
I know some saints who have really achieved a lot. But when you talk to them, when you meet them, you don't feel that they're something. You feel that they are just brothers and sisters among us. This is very proper. This is very normal. One brother, uh, you know, one time uh, he appeared on TV, you know, on the, on, on the news. And some saints came to me and they said, oh, did you see that brother on TV? Did, did you see him? And, and, um, and I told that brother about this. And he said, oh, I wish that was never shown because I don't want the saints to know that part of my life. All I know, all I want them is to know me in the meetings. And I was, I was very impressed with this. This brother was really willing to present himself as, as just a brother in the church life. So we should, we should see this pattern that was in Christ. We should see this mind, and we should allow this mind to operate in us. Point one says, we have a life in us that is self-emptying and self-humbling. This life never grasps at something as a treasure, but is always willing to lay aside position and title. We should always lay aside our position and title. Always. Um, you know, one of the greatest patterns to us is the life of the Lord Jesus, in, especially in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. In chapter 13, you see the story of foot washing. It says that the Lord, when he found out, you know, when, when he realized that his time was to go, he took off his garments, he girded himself with a towel, and he washed the feet of disciples. And uh, when I was reading this portion today, what struck me was verse 2. And verse 2 speaks about Judas, that at that time, Satan has already entered into the heart of Judas, and he was about to betray the Lord Jesus. Just imagine, brothers and sisters, the Lord is washing the feet of his disciples, and he knows that this one will betray him in a few hours. Would you wash the feet of such a person? I mean, if I present, I mean, I mean washing others' feet is, is already a big deal, you know? So it's, I mean, it's not so easy. So, but then you come, and, and someone tells you, oh, by the way, you're washing feet to this guy, and he's going to betray you. Um, I would say, okay, how about I wash everyone's feet, but not his one, <laughs> not this one, you know. So we, but the Lord was humbly willing to wash everyone's feet. He was supplying everyone, even knowing that that person would rebel and betray him. And we should ask ourselves this question, is my church life the same way? Am I willing to wash others' feet? Or am I claiming some kind of position which is actually a vainglory? But am I willing to stoop down and serve my brothers and sisters? This is the life that we have in us. This is the life that operates in us. Point D says, we have Christ crucified as our pattern, and this pattern is a crucified life within us. And now you see that the pattern that Christ has gone through the, these steps, they're actually becoming our experience. The steps of Christ's humiliation in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, are aspects of the crucified life lived out in a full way. This is what crucified life looks like. 
It's not you humbling yourself for one day. It's not you, uh, you know, swallowing that offense for one time. It's actually a crucified life day after day, moment after moment, that leads you lower and lower, that leads you all the way to death. Point two says, Christ being obedient unto death of the cross was the crucified life lived out in a full and absolute way. There is nothing that would compare to this kind of life. There is no higher life in the universe. This is the greatest pattern of a human life. Point three says, when we live Christ, we live the one who is the pattern of a crucified life. If you are claiming that you're living Christ, you have to ask yourself, what kind of expression is emanating from me? What kind, what kind of Christ do people see in me? And, we sh and the answer should be, what people see in me is not a glorious Christ, is not an exalted Christ, is the crucified Christ, is the Christ who is willing to humble himself to the uttermost. Point four, by living a crucified life, we can experience the power of resurrection. Brothers and sisters, only in this way, only through the cross, we can experience the power of resurrection. Many saints are longing for the resurrection power, but they are not willing to be in the crucified life. They, are, they want to bypass this step. They want to rush into the experience of resurrection power, but it doesn't work that way. For us to be in resurrection, we have to be men of the cross. We have to be men of suffering. And point five says, the highest life on earth is a crucified life. Whenever we live a crucified life, God will bring us into resurrection. I don't know about you, but I can tell you that it's not my natural thought, that the highest life is a crucified life. We think this is the lowest life. We think this is the most humble life, but actually it says here that this is the highest life. There's nothing higher than this life. One of the uh, hymns that I love very much, and I read it over and over again, is a hymn 635. It's a hymn that was written by Watchman Nee, and actually Brother Lee was involved in writing that hymn. And that hymn speaks about the sufferings of the grapevine. You know that, it's a big one, it has 16 verses. And this is a description of a life of a crucified person. And this is a description not based on theory, but this is a description of a person who lived this life and this is his own autobiography. This is an autobiography of Brother Watchman Nee. And when I read that hymn, I'm always touched with verse 13. I'm not sure if you ever paid attention to verse 13. It says, it says that uh, when, you know, it describes the steps of the vine and then it's cut and then it goes through winter and then listen, breathing air, this is about the spring, breathing air untamed heavenly as it lifts its arms on high, earth's impure defiled affection never the vine may occupy, facing sacrifice yet smiling, while love doth prune once more, strokes it bears as if it never suffered loss and pain before. So it says here that every time we experience the cross, it's like, it's like a new experience. 
You know, sometimes, you know, we experience something and we become callous. We don't want to go through there. You know, we, we don't want to experience this. But here it says that the vine offers its limbs for cutting as it has never, like it's never done it before. It means every time the experience of the cross is always fresh, living, is always with joy. Brothers and sisters, this is the life of the Lord Jesus. This is the life of Brother Watchman Nee. And this is the crucified life that we should have in our experience. Okay, uh, let us all read point six together. Christ is exalted in our daily life as we, by the bountiful supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, take Him as the crucified life to be the pattern of our daily life. Amen. May the Lord have mercy on us and may we fulfill brothers, Brother Lee's longing for the urgent need to take Christ as our pattern. Pray two by two for 30 seconds. Praise the Lord, saints. What a pattern set forth for us. Well, at this time, we can uh, invite all the saints to come up to the two microphones here and to uh, share, what, uh, to prophesy, to practice prophesying and speaking forth Christ. So go ahead and don't hesitate. Just go ahead and start. The context of the book of Philippians is a church that prayed for Paul, that supported Paul financially, and yet there was rivalry. So Paul exhorted the believers there to let this mind be in you. Amen. And it's by loving the Lord and being enthralled with him and engaged with him as much as he was with the Father that it actuates this very organic union. It brings us into this intrinsic oneness, into this relationship of intrinsic oneness. And hallelujah, this mind will be reproduced in us. The very omniscient one who had to learn obedience, he possessed something. He possessed the form of God and yet emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. So hallelujah, may the inward parts of Christ Jesus be reproduced in us. Amen. I appreciate that in addressing the Philippians, Paul didn't present some practical uh, solution to their problems, but what he did was he presented a pattern. He presented the Lord Jesus Christ as a pattern. And I think Philippians 2 is always so touching when, when we realize 
He is the one who existed in the form of God, but he emptied himself and he took the form of a slave. And he didn't stop there, but he emptied himself and went further, and he was obedient even unto death, and that the death of a cross. So I appreciate that. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. But I also appreciate more, more so that this pattern is not just objective, but in the context of Philippians, it's for us to experience, for us to know subjectively. That's why it says, let this mind be in you. So whenever we come across these situations, we just call on his name, Lord Jesus, and we can experience this pattern of the crucified life. Amen. Amen, brothers and sisters. I really enjoyed the fact of Jesus' humbleness. Um, I remember me and my brother were reading in John, and I specifically remember the part where Jesus, um, he has the bread and he dips it in the wine, and he says, whoever I feed this morsel to will be the one who betrays me. And when he feeds it to Judas, all he says is, pretty much whatever you need to do, just do it. Um, and he holds that with no anger. And, and I, would, I would think, like, I wouldn't even say anything if I, if I, like, fed someone. But Jesus was so humble that he fed every single person. And not only that, but held no anger towards the one who would betray him. And I realized that within my life, I definitely had these sort of um, hierarchies and tiers that I put people on. And I realized that all of those just need to be wiped away. And that my mind just needs to be open to how the Lord's being within it. I've always wondered why the Lord had to die the death of a cross. And even non-believers, they accuse, uh, they have the, this idea of the Lord Jesus being a scapegoat. But really, what the Lord did, what He, he went through was the highest life, which was the crucified life. He had to pass through a process of utter humiliation. And what a way to demonstrate His, his utter outpouring by dying the death of a cross. And in our experience, we need to have this exact same experience. We need to have the death of a cross because only then can we really outpour our all onto Christ. Lord Jesus, may I have these experiences of being crucified. Amen. 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 Uh, today's, today's message really exposed us so also I can have, I, have, I should confess that I have, I'm looking for, I'm kind of pursuing some kind of glory in the church life. But today's message, uh, hallelujah, want, want to tell us that we need to see the pattern. Christ lived crucified life. Amen. So in the church life, we don't want to seek any kind of ambition, any position but just Christ who lived humble, who, who humbled himself, he emptied himself. Amen. Just, we want to enjoy Christ, pursue Christ. Amen. Amen. Oh Lord, this uh, message just came at the perfect time because I'm moving back to my parents' house and just, you know, that, uh, just going back to that, uh, their house is just like, Oh, Lord, all the situations that might arise on my end, on their end, or whatever, it's like, oh, no. But at the same time, now, hearing this message, it's like, oh, Lord, 
What an opportunity. Oh, Lord, experience the crucified life. Oh, Lord, in all the situations that might arise, I can just apply your life, the crucified life in all these situations to just humble myself as you humbled yourself, Lord. Oh, Lord, just to empty myself, to subdue the self. Oh, Lord, by taking you, taking you on the cross. Praise the Lord. Uh, we have Christ crucified as our pattern, and this pattern is the crucified life within us. I had an experience many years ago. We, we all have this rivalry and vainglory in us. Most of the people I work with would say I'm a very nice person, but something happened and in, the, in the church life, and I was very upset, and I was considering I could take legal action. I was like in this state, but praise the Lord. I was looking at this ministry material open on my coffee table, and the verse was there, for I did not determine to know anything among you except Jesus Christ, and this one crucified. Amen. Oh, hallelujah, it just cut through everything. Amen. Praise the Lord for this one crucified. Amen. Praise the one for this one crucified. Amen. Okay. Amen. Amen. Uh, so the brother said that our mind is what we will be. And so thinking of myself, my mind is crazy, thinks many things, but I enjoyed Paul's recommendation in Philippians 2.5. Let this mind be in you. Uh, I, I like this mind. This mind is a capital M mind Christ. Amen. Our mind is no good, but we want this mind to be in us. Amen. And I, I really enjoyed the word let. The brother was sharing that to let is to allow. That's to say that this Christ is there wanting and waiting to put saturate this mind in us. Amen. Praise the Lord. We can know and experience Christ as this pattern. Amen. I so appreciate that this pattern is not just objective in that it's the life of another, but it's also subjective that we can experience it within. Amen. And uh, I, I praise the Lord that he created such a thing as submission in the universe and that this life of submission to God's will is now the life that is within us. So praise the Lord, this pattern is now living within us. <clears throat> and by this pattern, we can live a crucified life that Christ can be exalted. Amen. Amen. To read Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 9 in merely an objective way is to fall short of the revelation that Paul is trying to reveal to us. We need to read Philippians 2, 5 through 9 in a subjective way. We need to see that Christ put himself as a pattern for us to follow. But as we read these verses, we see that each step of his humiliation becomes increasingly impossible. And so then, what do we do? Well, the solution is in verse 12, which is that we have an inner operating God who put this life in us and is working this life in us so that we might have the same life and same mind that Christ had. Amen. So Lord, all the Lord need, so saints, the only thing that the Lord needs is our willing cooperation to allow him to operate in us. Amen. Uh, when the Lord came down to earth, he emptied himself of his uh, glory, his power, his position, his image, his deity. And if you look at yourself, you don't have any glory, you don't have any power, but what's holding us on a throne is just the enemy within us. And so I realize this pattern is a subjective example for us. And we have many experiences during the day, and I'm just excited about new opportunities and I, so I can live out this pattern. 
Amen. In Philippians 2, Paul charges um, the ordinary common believers in Philippi, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. But as I consider myself, my question is, Lord, how could I, how could I love you with the same intensity of love you had towards the Father? And how could I submit myself and be obedient to death as you were to the Father? Um, but I appreciate uh, this message the brother brought out. The Lord has given us the most subjective way, um, not in a way of imitation, but a way of indwelling God in our mingled spirit. Amen. And as we contact this Lord in our spirit, the Lord gives us the very love he had for the Father. And as we love the Lord and experience the Lord, we don't care for anything else. We let go of our, all our accomplishment because Christ is so excellent. Amen. Christ is so excellent. Amen. And there's an urgent need for us today in the Lord's recovery to experience this excellent Christ. Amen. And we saw tonight that we need to allow this Christ, especially his mind, to have a way to penetrate our mind and to organically operate in our being, to live out this pattern of humility. We shouldn't be ones who are in rivalry. We shouldn't be ones who are after vainglory. We should just be ones who are experiencing Christ as the one who humbled himself. Amen. If we experience him this way, we'll be low, so low to the extent that we can wash one another's feet by ministering the humble life of Christ to minister a word, to minister whatever a saint needs. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord, saints. Aren't you thankful for this ministry? Amen. I am so glad we weren't presented with an objective pattern of Christ tonight. Amen. I really felt we, we were on holy ground tonight. Um, just to see the Lord in a subjective way as our pattern. Amen. To realize to what degree the Lord lowered himself. Um, the only one in the universe who had the right and the position and the glory as God. He chose to uh, empty himself of all these rights and to become in the form of a slave. I just so appreciate that. I feel the more we ponder and muse upon this pattern, the more we realize how far we are from this pattern and how much we need this pattern to be infused into us. Amen. How much we need to experience Christ as such a one. Amen. Praise the Lord for the crucified life. Amen. I really enjoyed just seeing afresh the benefits and the power that comes from living a crucified life. I really just enjoyed seeing that a crucified life can deliver us from rivalry and seeking selfish ambition. Praise the Lord, it even can lead us to wash other people's feet. That's, that's really amazing, such a life lives in us. And, and this life, this crucified life is always fresh and always full of joy. Praise the Lord. We either live a crucified life or a life that is with ambition, rivalry, and vainglory. So, saints, which one are you going to choose? Wow, amen. Wow, we have such a pattern. And this pattern is contrary to the patterns in the world, which is all about ambition, all about confidence, and not being stepped on. But we, we, we have this pattern who humili uh, humbled himself even obedient unto the death of the cross. Uh, it's easy to be humbled and humiliated when we're wrong, but it's hard when we're you know, self-righteous. Um, but 
in order to do this, we only just need to let, allow the capital M to be in us. Amen. Well, since Hebrews 5.8, even though he was a son, learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Uh, in this book, The History of the Church and the Local Churches, when Brother Lee described the history of the local church, uh, eight chapters of it, and he devoted two chapters describing Brother Nee. Uh, experience of his suffering and the lesson that he learned. And uh, through suffering, Brother Nee learned how to live a life by faith, how to depend on the Lord, and how to deal with the flesh, how to be pure in motive, and so forth. Praise the Lord for such a pattern. And uh, to learn the obedience. Through the obedience, we enjoy the deep joy. Amen, brothers and sisters. We're here, me and the sister crucified, and um, it was hard enough to get up here and talk, but amen, because we're here. And um, I just want to say thank you be to the Lord because he's so marvelous and so precious. And today's word was so enjoyful because it, gives, it, it makes us realize once again that the purpose of God's crucifixion was not just for him to die, but the whole process itself is for us to enjoy him and love him and look for him. And I really love the, the, I loved everything, but I enjoy the part where the brothers said that we have to live a crucified life day after day, moment after moment, and take, to take Christ as a pattern. Amen, brothers and sisters. Amen. I really touched by today's chapters and uh, uh, the guy is real and fresh. And uh, we have a situation every day, whatever the situation is good or bad, we should humble ourselves and uh, to praise the Lord and uh, say, Oh Lord Jesus, we need you. Amen. Oh Lord Jesus, we need you. Amen. I was so touched. Uh, oh Lord Jesus, brother, brother say it's, it's, it's easier for us to be, um, to be humble, but it's not, it's not easy for God for Christ to be humble because he's, he's so powerful, he's a full of glory, but such a Christ can be humble himself. So he, he used the word create, create a submission. I was so shocked, I, you, know, you know, I thought we, I, we have some submission, some, some humbling, but that's not, that's, he created a submission. Mm. And I feel like, Lord Jesus, you know, you know he, because it's, the words are full of uh, rebellion, so he is, he's, he's the only one, you know, to submit, uh, he, he's the only one to submit himself, holy and the Father. Oh, Lord Jesus, such a Christ is in us. Amen. Oh, I, I was so touched. The, the highest light is the crucified light. Amen. You know, when I come here, I, I feel like I was crucified, but Lord can be resurrected in me. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I feel like this past year, I think the Lord has really just been exposing who I am. I think these verses in Philippians chapter 2, is quite exposing. Verse 3, doing nothing by way of selfish ambition, nor by way of vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, considering one another more excellent than yourselves, not regarding each his own virtues, but each the virtues of others also. I just realized this past year, my natural self, I can't do that. And I think as I was serving, the Lord was just really exposing the things that were in me, the rivalry, the vainglory, the ambition. But hallelujah, we have a pattern. And this pattern is not an objective pattern. We're not trying to imitate him. But rather, we can experience him in such a way. Amen. We can allow this mind to be in us. Amen. And this is my experience this past year. I, just, I was struggling in this one particular situation. But I just felt the Lord came in. I was spending time with him. 
felt the Lord's mind became into me. Amen. And I just realized the Lord even renewed my mind in my view concerning a particular person. Amen. And I just felt the result of that was that there was harmony, there was peace, Amen. and there was joy. Amen. So saints, this doesn't have to be objected to us. We can really experience this in a subjective way. Amen. Wow, that's sweet. There was harmony, there was peace, and there was joy. The brother let, uh, let the Lord put his mind into that brother. Uh, I just appreciated this point right here. There is an urgent need among us in the Lord's recovery today to experience Christ as our pattern. Um, that was such a sweet testimony right there. We really do need to let the Lord's mind be in us. And what, what kind of mind is this? This is the mind that does nothing by way of selfish ambition, nor by way of vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, considering one another more excellent than ourselves. Not regarding my own virtues, but the virtues of others also. Um, and even to the point of washing the feet of someone who I know has betrayed me or will betray me. This is the kind of life that our Lord Jesus lived, and this is the pattern that we must have today. Amen. Praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. So this will conclude our second session of the Southern California Blending Conference. The third session will be held tomorrow, and it will begin immediately with the Lord's Table, and it will start at 10 a.m. So please come early with an exercise spirit. There's a few announcements here. The first one is regarding the offering boxes. Material offerings may be made, may be, may be made using the built-in offering boxes near each entrance of the MCC. If your offering is being made to a particular locality, please designate that locality clearly on your offering. Any cash or undesignated offering will be applied to a dedicated account for the benefit of all the churches in Southern California. Uh, traffic and parking. To ensure the safety of all the saints and the timely exit of all vehicles from the parking lot, please follow the posted signs as well as any specific directions given by the parking brothers. Saints who are walking to their cars should try their best to stay on the sidewalks or mark crosswalks and should do their best to avoid obstructing traffic. Bookstore. The LSM bookstore in the northeast corner of the assembly area will be open for 30 minutes after this meeting is dismissed. And then tomorrow morning with the Southern California weekend children's camp. For kindergartners through sixth graders, the weekend's children camp will continue tomorrow at 1853 West Ball Road. Registration and check-in begins at 915. Tomorrow, as well, nursing mothers and toddlers can, can be in the separate viewing areas where there will be a live video feed in English, and that is located in the FTTMA section. Parents. Parents who currently have children at 1853 West Ball Road may be excused right now, immediately, to pick up their children. Please do not linger here at the MCC since many of the children's serving ones have been serving since 2.30 this afternoon. So parents, you can be dismissed right now. Finally, when you